Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat and as you take your Bibles out, I'm going to invite you to go to Galatians chapter 5 with us. And while the kids head back to Kids Church with Miss Rhonda, Galatians chapter 5. Now, this morning we're beginning a short series. It's simply called You Asked For It, right? Now, um, so most of the time, uh, probably 90% or, or more, um, so, so normative way we do things here is that we'll just walk through books of the Bible. And starting in mid-February, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark, and I have that we're going to get about halfway through that by Christmas, okay? So um, it's going to be a long time that we're going to be in Mark, walking through a Gospel. But, but I think sometimes it's good to simply address questions. And so uh, back in the fall, I asked um, you to just submit some questions, and, and I got some in. Um, and and the, the reason I, I think that's good is because if we believe the Bible's sufficient for life, then, then there's no issue in life that we'll face from wi- for which we can't glean some information from the Bible. Now, that's not to say that uh, there is a thou shalt or a thou shalt not for every situation in life. There's not. But there is, there, there are guiding principles for every area of life. That's what we mean when we say the Bible is sufficient, right? That it will guide us in, in every area in life that we face. So this week we're going to look at walking in the Spirit. What does it look like? To, to, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to take a look at biblical church leadership, pastors and deacons and what that means. And then, um, the first Sunday in February, this is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about the Christian in politics, all right? I'm going to, going to go there, all right? It's an election year, why not? Sure. Um, and then I still have one week open, so if you've not yet submitted a, a question or if you, if you have a question just about life or maybe something that you're seeing happen in our culture, um, on the missions table, right out these, these uh, doors to your left, um, there, are, there are little uh, sheets of paper that simply say, you asked for it. And you can, you can fill those out, just leave them on that table, ask your question, and um, I'll, I'll take some of those and, and come up with one at the end. Now this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at Galatians chapter 5, at the fruit of the Spirit. Well, really at, at two things, at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and, and the difference between the two and how we are to live as followers of Christ. Because here's, here's the thing. If, if we who claim to be followers of Christ are being transformed, are being changed by Christ, that should be evident in our lives. It should make some difference. This morning we're going to see the, the difference that that relationship with Christ, the fact that we, we've been saved, that we have been renewed, and as the Bible would, would, I believe, teach us, we are continuing to be renewed, that's going to play a difference in our lives. So if you will, stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. This is Paul writing, and the word of the Lord says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to just open up your word, and we pray that just as we sing, the Holy Spirit would, would fill this room, would touch our hearts, would, would convict us of sin where that needs to happen. I pray that as we look at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, you, you, would, realize, you would help us to realize those things that we are called to. And those things we are called to leave behind. So this morning, walk with us through this passage. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So so Paul's going to begin here with the reality. Something that we need to understand, right? So um, as we're talking about life, reality matters, right? You have to know where you are. You have to know the, 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 the situation in which you enter into to, to know how to react to it. Re- reality matters. And so Paul begins by simply telling us that the reality is that we are at war with ourselves. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's saying there is a war that's happening within us, and there are two things, if you're a believer, there are two things competing against one another. You have the flesh, and that's not, by the way, it's not just talking about your physical body, and the in the New Testament, when especially Paul uses flesh, he's not talking just about um, skin and bones and muscles. He's talking about the sinful desire, the sinful nature that we have. That, that's, that's the way he uses the word flesh. We have these, we have this sinful nature that's at work within us. That's fighting against the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and what it wants. And he even says these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. If you've ever experienced a, a time in your life where you knew the right thing that you should do, and yet you had no desire to do it, or, or even if you desired to do it, you, you said, I, I know this is what I should be doing, and maybe even I want to do it, but I don't. And I know these things that I shouldn't do, and I don't really want to do them, and yet this is what I find myself doing. 
If you've ever experienced that, I have a word for you. Welcome to the club. In fact, Paul himself will write in Romans 7. Look at this. It says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me, so I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, now listen, this should, I think, bring us great comfort because when we experience that, that tug of war within us of, I mean, I, I know what I should be doing and I want to do it and yet I don't do that. Paul, I, the, the man who wrote half of our New Testament, would, would look at that and say, I experienced the same struggle. Now this work of what we call sanctification, of being made into the image of Christ, is a lifelong process by which we learn to turn away from the things of the flesh, to turn away from sinful desires and turn to the things of God and things of Christ. And if you've been a believer for longer than about five minutes, you'll realize that that does not happen instantaneously most of the time. It's a lifelong process by which we are shaped and molded into the image of Christ. So I think it's important for us, and when we talk about walking in the Spirit, it's important for us to realize that this is a war that is going on within us. Now, if you read the end of the book, you'll know how the war ends. That, that verdict has already been declared. In the meantime, we still wrestle with the sinful desire that each of us has. Now, I say that not to depress us, but so that we know the, the reality that, that we're facing. Much like your cancer doctor, if, if you go and you've been diagnosed with cancer, hopefully you want a doctor who's going to give you reality, right? I mean, if you have cancer, you don't want a doctor saying, ah, psh, no big deal. No, I do this all the time, right? No, you, you, want, you want somebody to give you reality. This is what we're facing, but there's a plan. And so that's what I would tell you. This, this is the reality. There is a war within us, but all is not lost. There is a plan. Now, now Paul then goes on and he, he focuses on this negative side, which is important for us because we need to know, we need to recognize the, the stuff of the flesh, right? So we're, let's focus first on the wrong stuff. That, that, that was not an 80s movie about the, the space program, by the way, all right? No, that's the, the, wrong, the wrong stuff, first of all, okay? And this is what he says, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. In other words, this list is not exhaustive. Okay? So if for some reason, like your particular sin wasn't listed there, you don't just get to go, whew. God, that got close, right? No. And anything similar. And then look at this. He says, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. Again, flesh here is the works of the flesh. The flesh is used to describe uh, the, the sinful nature that we have. And he says the works of the flesh are obvious, right? They're not secret. They're, they are observable. And they're prevalent. But, but here's the thing. They're not new. You know, if, you've, if, if you pay attention to the news, and I'm not sure I can recommend that, honestly, um, uh, but, but, but if you do, you, you'll hear a lot of things like, man, this is the worst things have ever been. Right? We're, our, our nation is spinning out of control. Now, that's not to say there aren't significant issues. We'll talk about some of those in a couple of weeks. But, but when I read lists like this, what, what I'm reminded of is that the things we experience in our world today are not new. Right? Satan is crafty, but he's not really all that creative. We don't have people in the United States of America that have invented new forms of sin. We're we're rehashing things that have been going on really from the beginning of of time, especially if you go back and read the Old Testament. we're, we're, We're not reinventing the wheel here. Well, people have never, never been this immoral. Nonsense. Go read Romans. Romans 1. You don't get past the first chapter but before, you, before you encounter some, some pretty wicked stuff, right? And then Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's pause here because there's, there, there's a significant question that we need to ask. What happens... When we see these things in the lives of believers, or let's bring it even closer to home, what happens when I recognize some of these things in my own life? Right? Because we can be, we as, as people still warring against the human nature can be prone to things like idolatry, envy, selfish ambitions. Right? Maybe sometimes we've even experienced these things in church before. So, so what do we do when we encounter these things in the lives of other believers? Do we stand up and say, well, the Bible says you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Well, I don't think so, unless, unless you're willing to have that same accusation thrown back at you, right? Because normally, um, we're, we're really good about pointing these things out in the lives of others and, and not so good about seeing them in ourselves. I think the key word here is practice. Those who practice these things. It carries a lot of weight, right? So in other words, this, this seems to indicate that it's an ongoing lifestyle of these things. Now, now as believers, even, even as followers of Christ, we're not, we're not completely perfect. We're not sanctified yet. So we are going to find these things in our lives from time to time, but we must not practice them. The difference in the way a believer responds to these things in their lives and the way a non-believer responds, or at least should respond, is that as believers, when we see these things in our lives, we repent of them and turn away. And we ask God to help us, first of all, resist them and then plead with Him to remove them. Now again, take a look at this list. Because in a minute we're going to look at one that's diametrically opposed. But 
But we need to spend a little, just a little bit of time considering these. And then taking a look at our own lives and asking which of these are present in my life? Which of these do I see popping up from time to time? The church at Corinth wrestled with a lot of these. Now again, keep in mind, that's a church. A gathering of local uh, of believers, a gathering of believers into a local body known as the church. And this is what, what Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was unable to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Do you, do you see what Paul's saying here? He says, listen, you, you've, you've been believers for a while. We, we would expect to see some growth. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we started a series just looking at some discipleship. And I, and I talked briefly about just kind of some stages of growth in the, in the Christian life. And we can look at that a lot like we would look at the stages of physical growth. You have an infant that's very reliable, that relies completely on someone else to feed them, to take care of them. Move on to a child that can understand a few things, but still has to be taught a lot of things. You have young adults that they can, for the most part, live and function on their own. Then you reach full adulthood and the stage of parenthood where, where you're reproducing. It's not a perfect parallel, but I think there's a lot to be said for a spiritual life that, that matures to the point where they're reproducing. That's, that's what it means when we say make disciples who make disciples. That's a, that's a reproducing cycle. And if we were to look at, at, at a physical infant who never grew beyond the infant stage, we would recognize some serious developmental delays. Some, something's gone seriously wrong if a child never walks, if a child never moves beyond um, having to be spoon-fed. My question is, how many people in pews in churches across the world have never moved beyond having to be spoon-fed in their relationship with Christ? That's what Paul's saying here. You've, you, you, you should know these things. Why, why, why are you not progressing? What's hindering your relationship with Christ that you're not growing? And we know there's, there's always grace. There's always forgiveness for, for followers of Christ. And we know there will be times that we take two, step, two steps forward, one step back. Another two step forward, three steps forward, right? We, we know that's how this this Christian life works, and yet the Bible expects that believers will be growing in their relationship with Christ, maturing, putting sin to death and trusting in Christ. That's why Paul contrasts the way the world lives, the, the, the desires of the flesh, with the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where he goes next. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the early church fathers said this, and he asked, why does he refer to the fruit of the Spirit? Notice he didn't call this the works of the Spirit. He he talked about the works of the flesh. Here he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And he says it's simply because the evil works come from us alone. that's, That's us living apart from the Spirit. While the good works, this fruit, require not only our own will, but the kindness of God working in and through us. Requires a reliance upon His strength. That as we surrender, as we give up control of our lives, these are the things that He cultivates in us. Now, just really quickly, let's compare this list with the previous one. Talked about sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds. Now he says love, joy, and peace. In the first list, he talked about outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. Here he talks about kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Do you see the difference? You know, and, and let, let me just give you an observation that, that, I've, that, that I've had. I've, I've never seen a marriage break up because there was too much love or too much joy. I've never seen a church split because there was too much kindness and patience and self-control. There's plenty of the former list in the world. The problem is when those things come into the church. Come into a home that's supposed to have God as the center. So church, we must be about pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. So guess what? Listen, we, we know we're all sinners here, right? I mean, no, no, nobody, nobody is exempt from that. There will be times that, that someone offends you. Do you know that self-control means you don't say exactly what you think? And you don't have to post every thought you have onto Facebook or Twitter? Well, but you don't understand, like, they offended me. I've got I've to get back at them. Is, is that not a selfish ambition? Right? Is that, is that not me-centered? Is that, is that not a child or an infant's reaction? Mine! I mean, listen, it's right here. Just explaining what's going on here, right? What, what, I, what I'm saying is that the fruit of the Spirit are a good barometer of your spiritual life. So if you find yourself lacking in peace, in joy, in love, in self-control, in gentleness, in kindness, 
There's something else going on. And, and, and I would say this. If you see a pattern in your life of there being a lack of these things, I think it's time to ask some very serious questions about your salvation experience. Because if an apple tree never produces apples, I have questions about if it's really an apple tree. As, I've, as we've walked through the, the, the history of this church over the last 10 years or so, and those, those of you that have been a part will, will see this, and, and as I talk with pastors from all over the country that, that have been in similar situations, do, do you know that I've seen a pattern of envy and bitterness destroying churches? Selfish ambitions? Dissensions? Jealousy? And a severe lack of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why? Why is this such a big deal for us? Why, why is it important that we pursue these things? Thankfully, Paul goes on and tells us this. Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because when, when you're tempted to respond in anger or respond in jealousy, that's the old person that's coming out. That's not the person that Christ has called you to be. That's not the new creation, the new heart that He gave to you. In other words, that old person is dead. The, the, you were crucified with Christ. You've crucified the flesh if you belong to Christ. That old person was executed, and you're now a new creation. This is the way Paul puts it, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So in, in calling us to walk in the Spirit, then Paul's essentially calling us to live the life that we've been saved to live. Again, reality matters, does it not? That old person is dead. That's not who you are anymore. You are a new creation in Christ. And this is the reality of who we are. Now Paul's saying, live like it. He's calling us to put to death the sinful things that characterize the old way of life and to walk in the new life that's been given to us through Christ's death and resurrection. All right, so that's the what. Right? And the why. The what is we're to, we're to put to death the things that are of the flesh. We're to walk in the Spirit because we've been crucified. Now we get to the how. Okay, Kyle, that's all well and good, and I understand it, but how do I do this on a daily basis? Thankfully, the Bible tells us that as well. Colossians 3, this is what Paul writes. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, here's what I'm learning. The things that I think about tend to drive my actions. The things that I focus on tend to be where I go. We know this in driving, right? 
You get distracted and you start looking off to the left and suddenly you're veering into oncoming traffic. It's driver's ed 101. You keep your eyes on the road. You keep your eyes where you want to go. Essentially, that's what Paul's saying. Listen, if if we want to be like Christ, let's get our eyes up and look at him. I'll say something similar in Philippians 2. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, just just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Well, hang on, he says work out your salvation. What exactly does he mean there? Well, He's talking to those who've already been saved. And he's saying, now do, do the work to, to make your life look like it. Now, really quickly, let me explain that he's not just saying, good luck, Godspeed, hope you get there. No. The, the principle that he's presenting here is of grace-driven effort. You'll understand this. You get in your car, you turn it on, you push the gas pedal down, and you magically, by your own effort, make your car go, right? No. There's a whole lot of stuff happening behind the scenes to make that car go. Now, is there some work that you have to do? Well, yeah. You got to start it, whether that's a key or, you know, you have a fancy push button, right? You got to do something to start it. You gotta put it in gear, you gotta push the gas pedal down. But I don't know anybody that's driving a Flintstone car anymore, right? You're not out there having to pedal to make it go. No, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that most of us don't even really understand, right? And I think that same principle applies here. Paul's saying, listen, there is there is work to be done in this in this life that that we call following Christ. Some of it's hard work. But what we see constantly in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us in powerful ways that we can't even imagine sanctifying us into the image of Christ. It takes effort. But it's grace-driven effort. That's why he says we work out Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's where I want to close. and This is important. The Christian life is not passive. We, we, don't, just, we don't get, just get to sit back and to coast through life and ask the Lord to make us holy. It's not how it works. And as we focus on cultivating love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the Lord is at work in us and through us and in situations to help us grow in ways we can't even imagine. If you've ever prayed for patience, you'll understand this. Because the Lord, in, in, at least in my experience, is not going to just magically grant you patience. He's going to bless you with the opportunities to practice patience and to grow in patience. 
Could it, could it be true of, of any of these? Lord, I need to be more joyful. All right, I'm going to give you opportunities where you have the opportunity, where you have the choice to respond in joy, despite maybe there being nothing to be joyful about. Lord, I need peace. All right, I'm going to show you what it looks to have, what it looks like to have true peace that's not based on circumstances. Kindness. All right? I'll send some folks your way that will be the opposite of kind. And I'll teach you to grow in kindness. So then, we keep our eyes focused on him. Not getting tangled up in the things of this world. As, as Paul would, or as, as the New Testament would tell us, not to get um, pulled into meaningless arguments of which there are many happening in our world right now. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, asking him to cultivate in us the fruit of the Spirit. That when people look at us, now think about this. We, we, we've talked this year about the baptism goal that we want to have, that, that, our, uh, that we want to be a church that's about making disciples who make disciples. Do, do you know you can, you can ruin that really quickly um, with, with a word misplaced or with the way you react to a situation? So we ask the Lord to, to cultivate these things in us, that we might reflect to a lost and dying and watching world what we believe about who God is. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is where I'm closing. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those who have gone before, those who have modeled it for us, the New Testament writers, believers in our own lives who have modeled what it looks like to follow Christ, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. We're going to go where we're looking. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. So this morning, I would invite you to examine your life. Maybe, maybe you just need to spend some time as we, as we sing here in just a moment to look over these two lists and ask the Lord to, to reveal to you those areas that are lacking in your life where, where, you're, where you're missing love and joy, peace, patience, and the rest, and where, where you're tempted to respond in anger, bitterness, wrath, envy, jealousy. Maybe you're here this morning and... and and you'd realize that, that you've not been made a new creation. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. This isn't something you can do on your own. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit. I would love to share with you this morning about how much God loves you and how he sent Jesus to live the life that you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserved, that you might turn from sin and trust in Christ this morning, come to know him. Let me plead with you, church. Let us be people who are following Jesus and seeking to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Luckily, we have a business meeting. We get to practice this in just a few minutes.
Let's be a church that responds to one another, to an outside world, with the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us. I thank you that that you inspired Paul to write these words, to, to create this contrast in the way that we're to live. Not responding in envy or bitterness or jealousy. Seeking to root out sexual immorality and idols. Instead that we would be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I pray that in our interactions with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that as we go to work this week, as we deal with neighbors and coworkers and maybe family members, that we'll test these things in our lives, that you would use those as opportunities to grow this fruit. Help us. Give us strength. We need you, Lord. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.